Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. What are we talking about, Sasha? We're talking about, as usual, something happening in the gender wars. And then we're also going to touch on something else because gender isn't controversial enough for us. We're going to talk about anti-vaxxers and the rhetoric around them, especially from the libtards. Ah, yes, the vaunted libtards. So to start with, um, Ryan Grimm from The Hill did a did a video monologue on um, a recent memo that came out from the Transgender Law Center. Ryan Grimm is not really someone who's spoken out on trans rights before, has he? In general, but he's he's more of an investigative reporter. Mm. So, with um, with him, you're going to hear him talk more about like substantive issues about like pol- like uh, the big politics, like economics and all that. Right. Things like culture war, he generally stayed away from. And that's what's interesting is that this topic is now reaching so far into the mainstream that people like him are talking about it. It's like yeah. they don't have a choice now. Everyone's talking about it. And what's interesting is that it's really centered on sports. You know, yes. like that's the thing that's really exploding and into the mainstream. And um, the memo that he talks about from the Transgender Law Center, it's kind of hilarious because they say thing, this organization, I talked about them with MK Fain a long time ago, she was aware of them. And they say things like, you know, we should keep our issues out of the media because keeping these out of the media about their these arguments about trans women and women's sports it actually helps their cause for public acceptance like the more people know about it the less likely they are to support trans women in women's sports for example yeah it's a they require complete ignorance they they require complete ignorance that's why they cannot debate their their arguments because you know the idea of a trans woman okay so well, no, sex is real. But the the issue with transgender is that since it's based on postmodernism, they're playing a game of um of words, semantics. Like they 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 have such a shifty definition. So they're using gender, for example, which in the broad context of people in America, the general population uses that word to denote sex. They don't use it to denote behavior and whatnot. Right. And it's like the gen, the transgender populace knows this. So they play this game of soup where they say, well, gender's a, a social construct, but it's unrelated to sex. But sex doesn't exist. Gen- it is all gender. Right. And so. And they'll say, they'll always come back with, when someone's arguing against them, they'll always come back with, you don't know the difference between sex and gender. You're confusing sex and gender. It is the cornerstone of their entire argument that they build. That Because if you can believe their argument that gender is completely constructed in the social realm, then you are sold. You, you're good. You can go ahead and agree with trans women or women. If a woman is just a nebulous performance or a social yes. construct as um as what's her face um judith butler argued that yeah exactly the, yeah. the gender is a performance thing so it's interesting though how the more people learn about this they're not necessarily reading these like scholarly pieces on why sex is a social construct or what gender performance is but they are reading news stories about it and they're learning a bit more about the whole transgender argument and then they're coming out on the side against it. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone knows that, you know, there's a male and there's a female. I mean, you know, how do human beings breed? One side has to have the ability to um, inseminate. The other one has to be able to, you know, have the child. And I wonder if, eggs. yeah, like we we know this intuitively. And I mean, I wonder if part of this is that people assume it's like the gay rights issue that it's completely akin to the gay rights issue and then maybe when they see a little more they realize it's not i think so i think what it is is that you know transgender is only 0.6 percent of the system well 0.06 percent of the society i think it is 
they're a very tiny minority that most people will never interact with. The majority of Americans will not interact with a transgender individual. You'll have to live in areas more like urban areas or whatnot, because even even in some small towns, you'll have like a, a, a transgender. But like how many small towns will have that? Maybe one in like this entire like 50 to 100 counties. You know, transgender populace is just tiny. So, you know, since people don't interact with them, they don't they, they hear all this stuff. They don't really think about it. But now they're capable of seeing it because it's like, okay, well, colleges, sports takes that small pool and makes it extremely visible. Wait, 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 wait. I have this guy who, you know, is going to be competing against the women because he said so. He said he's a female. Wait, wait, you know, we know there's men and women. You know, what is this observed? Gender is socially constructed. See, that's where they right because more Americans watch sports than anything. So yeah, it makes sense that it's the sports issue getting it out there. That's what the uh, memo was emphasizing. Another hilarious thing from the memo is that they they explicitly talk about how they need to piggyback on another successful civil rights movement and how they need to make everyone believe that trans is like race. And yes. that the transgender struggle goes right along with the struggle for civil rights for African-Americans. I told you when we were talking about it, I said trans individuals, the trans community, it's not interested in being like asexuality or just a like sexual identity. It is fighting to be recognized as an identity, you know, uh, like... As a people, okay, we've talked yeah, about. Black, yeah. They're people. Mm-hmm. And so if there are people, that's why they can use discriminatory, uh, the discrimination arguments be like, and make people be out like bigots and stuff like that. Yes. And First, as you pointed out before as well, they make it so that when you say a trans woman is a man, it's like now saying the N-word. It's like yes. a slur against them as because, their, yeah, because, their identity. Yeah, because there are people and you have right. no right to insult those people. You're discriminating and all that. And because there are people, they get to decide what is the offensive term to them. Right. And you don't get to decide. It's like you don't get to tell a trans person how to react to something. I saw this comment on Twitter that I was meaning to show you because I knew you would appreciate this insanity. A trans woman on Twitter said a stupid thing. Can you believe that? Oh. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a shock, I know. I'm not going to say the account name because it's a small account. And this person says, all the, quote, no kink at pride discourse was at its root transphobic and at its root was trying to push trans people from the public eye. Once they do that, you then say, why are they allowed to walk down the same streets as me? Children could see them. Before the Serbs started murdering people in Kosovo, they kicked all the Albanians off the football team so that the children wouldn't have to be subjected to seeing them play. Oh, what a dirty son of a bitch that motherfucker is. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay, so, so we're going to different... continue to yeah. appropriate other people's genocides. Yeah, and so they're appropriating other people's like genocides. So that we can have kink at pride. Yes. See, by disallowing us to show your children our sexual fetishes that that any polite society would be like, take that shit and put it back in your bedroom. Um, this guy's saying that to deny them the right to show your children that their sexual interest is akin to starting pogroms against them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the, the lowest of the low. Like, that that is just so, like... Can you explain what they're talking about with the Albanians in Kosovo? What's the historical context of it specifically? Well, I mean, 
it's like anything. Whenever one group is about to eliminate another group, they begin to kick them outside, out of the public like spheres. Like you know, they remove them from the stuff. Like so, you don't want them to be playing sports. You don't want them to be playing anything. So that's why they're they're usually they're they're using that stuff. It's like no one's saying the trans women and trans men can't, um, you know, be in sports. What they're saying is is that at least for the trans women, they should be competing in the male category, while the trans men is the is actually the biggest problem because you got a juiced up female on performance enhancing drugs, essentially, mm-hmm. because she's taking testosterone. Um, and she's going to have a massive advantage over regular women because she's taking testosterone. Um, yeah. <laughs> So it's it's trans men who are actually the the most problematic when it comes to theirs because you're allowing somebody taking testosterone to compete, which that and they're not taking a small amount, they're taking a large amount, and well, any testosterone taken by a woman is immediately enhancing her performance against other women. So right. Exactly. And I don't know now why all the female athletes won't just go ahead and start taking testosterone. But I mean, I wanted you to actually explain what happened in Kosovo with the Albanians, like to give oh. us the historical context about the massacre. Oh, well, the, the that one is not my forte. OK, well, that's fine. But it was part of the coast. It was a, it was basically a massacre in the Kosovo War. Yeah, they, I mean, in all in the late 90s. Yeah, well. I can say on what what I do know about you know the the Kosovo issues is I mean it was whenever they're going to commit something they you know they do the standard removing people I mean the Serbs had problems with people who were with the Albanians because the Serbs have a very nationalistic ethno nationalistic viewpoint um, there's a lot of ethno nationalism in Serbia and it's a it's a problem that that society is is struggling with so and what do we say about that i mean we we talk about this every single time we talk about transgender issues mm-hmm. we talk about how they appropriate serious historical forms of oppression like genocide yes. seriously they piggyback on this we all, i always bring up jewish cock by katarina volkmer this recent novel that came out that was all about this German woman who wants to become a Jewish man through, you know, phalloplasty. And um, it's, again, here we just have a little example from Twitter, but they, but that's the strategy, like from the Transgender Law Center, tie the trans issue to race and tie it specifically in this context of the U.S. to the African-American struggle. Oh, of course, because it's all about appropriating. They did this with even the Palestinian struggle and all that stuff. Like, it, what is it? Uh, Shadi Al Masri was talking about this because there's a there is a very um, strong uh, pushback in the Islamic community right now about the LGBTQ that's trying to come in, and specifically, it's it's the trans progressive wing moving in through the what they call the oh, Muslim for progressive values. Most Muslims do not consider those guys to be like. Once you sit down and talk about what they're advocating for, many Muslims will not be on on for what. So uh, how are they? How are the um, MVPs, the Muslims for progressive values, MPVs, the Muslims for yes. progressive values? How are they um, using the trans issue? Kind of how they're are they trying, pushing that? So what they're trying Muslim to do world. is they're trying to say that um, they're trying to push the, the idea that um, all these things are accepted in Islam. They're trying to say that these things, like they're trying to say queer identity is, is a, a thing and it's allowed. So you'll see, you know, someone trying to say, well, I'm bi and Muslim. And it's like, well, like it or not, that's a very contentious statement within that group that's not going to be an accepted they do not accept the lgb that is something they're like hey we don't mind you you can go over there but don't try to come into our religion and tell us to be like accepting of that and trying to say we can should advocate 
you have full rights of the citizen, do whatever you want, but religiously we can't, we're not to be intermixed with you. And that's what the argument of Shadi al-Masri and all that, the rejectionist camp has been, because it's saying that these people are saying that we should defend them and say that they're, the way they live is right by God, which Muslims can't say that. So what they usually say is, well, that like the standard line for most Muslims on these issues is that's the society's, um, that's what the society says, that's what, how it goes. We're not involved in it. The ones who want the religious law, on the other hand, you know, they're going to be like any extremist. You know. Yeah. So. Right. So they're they're trying to almost do the opposite. They're trying to get Muslims to tie in trans to their transgender ideology and, uh, into yeah. their messaging, but and um, gender and all that. Yes. Right. But so, and then they're also obviously doing the thing where they're tying themselves to racial struggles. So um, here's someone that Chase Strangio retweeted another man cosplaying as a woman. And he said, the argument against Leah's inclusion, Leah Thomas, the swimmer, the male swimmer, who's, mm. you know, swimming against females. The arguments against Leah's inclusion, the reaction of the US swimming official resigning, the treatment of Leah in the media, are all the same sort of bigotry the U.S. saw with race integration in sports half a century ago. They were bigoted and ridiculous then, and they are now. Yeah, you know, like, you know, it's totally the same thing. A black man wanting to play, you know, sports with a white man is the same as a man who call who wants to wear a dress saying that he gets to, you know, compete against women. Completely the same thing. Completely, you know. Yeah. I mean, if I just sit there and say I identify as a woman, I obviously, obviously then am a woman and should be able to, you know, fight one in a bare knuckle boxing match. Why not? You know, as long as I'm a woman, everything's kosher. That's pretty <laughs> much where we are right now, unfortunately. <laughs> we so... are. Did you see? Did you see the Fallon Fox? Tweet. What was it? There was something he was like just saying once again, I love you know that he beat kicking up, up this woman in the yeah. ring. Yeah, he beat it because the his opponent played the song, you know, dude looks like a woman, I think it is. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, and he beat the shit out of her. Well, you know, uh, he's that's a man. funny. Yes. And so he's bragging about it, and it's like, man, think about this. We've gotten to a point in our society where a dude can beat the shit out of a female in a fight and then brag about it on Twitter and people sit there and say he's stunning and brave. That is, um, that is. Well, I think they would say she's stunning and brave, but yeah. Yeah, they can call him she as much as they want, but you know, the emperor has no clothes and I'm not going to say he does. You know, he's naked and I don't like it. So, I don't know what else there is to say about this issue that hasn't already been said many, many times, but um, let's talk a little bit about the COVID, the anti-vaxxers, because this article came out the other day that was getting a lot of traction and there were even a lot of, you know, I guess we could call them libtards who were condemning this because it was so extreme. It's, It's called... Mocking anti-vaxxers COVID deaths is ghoulish, yes, but maybe necessary. And it's by a man named Michael Hiltzik. And um, basically, his art it's in Los Angeles Times. And he's talking about how, I mean, it's a whole bunch of waffling. And he's basically saying, you know, we should mock the fact that, you know, you didn't get it vax you you told other people that they shouldn't have to get the vax and then you died of COVID and what's interesting is that his main point is it's not just that you didn't get the vax it's that you spread misinformation about the vax so that you spread the idea you know that other people shouldn't necessarily have to take the vax I just want to know when has mass shaming ever worked I mean, think about it. Uh, let's see. We got the scarlet letter. 
we have an entire uh, history of like trying to shame people, you know, into a closet or, you know. But it works. I mean, I would say like, when doesn't it work? When doesn't it work? At least in the short term. It's a short term strategy. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a short term strategy. Eventually, it's going to cause more, um, more, more of a backlash and allow, you know, right. what you're trying to shame to come into fruition. I mean, the only time like mass shaming really works is when there's something behind it to enforce that shaming. Then it works. And I'm not talking just about like fire, getting people fired because people can fight that. It's like, you know, Back in the old days, when they shamed somebody, it, well, if they didn't like him more and he kept on doing it, eventually the mobs came after him. That's when shaming really works. <laughs> right well, now? Yeah. And we, but no, but that's, we do see that right now because if you don't, I mean, I know someone who might lose her job because she doesn't want to get vaxxed. And, you know, she works from home. Yeah. It's insane that she should have to get vaxxed or get fired, but she does have to make that choice. And I mean, there now there's going to be a health pass. Like in Europe, they have a health pass. So you're getting yeah. punished. There's see, some force behind it now. But see, that's more of, that's the state. That's a, that is more of a state and, um, and corporate thing going on those are like canada britain and europe and all that in america we have a, we have the opposite where it's we have the mandates going in the corporate corporations demanding it and but not all corporations are demanding it and right now in america it's kind of like a work so you're saying just get a new job and just the free market will allow for this well i mean for retail for for a lot of retail workers and low-end workers and all that stuff they they right now have um and a lot of other staff i one of my friends he has because of the uh was it because of the short staff and whatnot he has demanded multiple and gotten multiple raises because they're so short staffed they're so desperate because he said you know what you don't give me a raise i'll leave so he went yeah so i mean there is there has been a silver lining to this nonsense because as they reduce their pool and do this stuff these businesses are getting more desperate like everything that these idiots are doing to try to like gain back power is actually faltering in their faces like when you say these idiots you mean the covid um enforcers or the COVID enforcers and the corporations going in on doing mm-hmm. that because what's happening is 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 it seems like because so many millennials now live at home what's happening or what we're saying is is that they're willing to quit and when those right. we're in the great quit, resignation right now yes so really what's happening now is that the cancel mob really affects the professional class and the people working in those in those um in that sphere it's not really it's its effect is on those people but the secondary effects of the the empowerment of the hr is a massive problem but right now due to the resignation it's kind of like everything's up in the air do you know what I mean? There is right now a glimmer of hope that workers can really spank these co- corporations because they're in, or at least for America. I don't know about the other countries. And well, you know, I can't, I don't live but there. But I mean, so I don't is care. there hope? Because I know people are <laughs> quitting, but mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I read elsewhere that people are looking for, like the people who are quitting, I think are just bouncing to new jobs. I don't know, or they're moving in with their parents because so many millennials yeah. live with their parents now. I mean, last I checked, it was half, but it may yeah. or was around forty-two percent. But it, that was already that's already old, so I'm not sure what the statistic is now. By the way, the guy who wrote this article is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. What? That guy yeah. who wrote that? Yes, yes, oh. Michael Hiltzik. Um, he's, I mean this is what this is this is where we are right now 
a bar so well i mean it really makes sense you you have a country and it seems like you have multiple countries or experiences that don't understand what citizenship means like people have really lost what the concept of, of citizenship is you can't advocate for the death of your fellow fellow, uh, fellow citizens <laughs> sorry i have to cough for a quick <clears throat> and you can't do that you cannot advocate for the death of your fellow citizens you have to actually work together like these people act like they don't live in the same country with one another it's like you know i'm living here that guy can go die it's like well you know you're just contributing to the malaise of your country you know so many of these people like so many americans claim to be christian they should remember the statement that a house divided cannot stand because they are doing some good jobs tearing themselves apart and like looking at each other's enemies. And it's going to be interesting to see if Biden is a one term president, which I think he's going to be. I think that we're, we're going really? to see. Yeah, I think that well, I'm yeah, going to call I'm gonna it. Be surprised. I, I he's think pretty daughtery. Yes, I think we're going to have a red wave. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. He's, I was just reading today about his approval rate, his approval rate. And it's at it's somewhere in the 40s. I think it was the low 40s. And at this same time in the presidency, which is over a little over 200 days, 200 something days, um, Trump was really low. It was like in the 30s. Obama was around 50. And mm -hmm. Bush was around 79. So yeah. Bush's was crazy high. When you yeah. think about it, it would have been very shortly after 9-11. Yeah. So it makes sense. It would explain those ratings because there was like a cultural culture of a feeling of unity and fear yeah. at that time. Yeah. So people are going to naturally gravitate toward the leader. Yeah, the the Bush years, the, the country was way more united during that time. Like after, like really into Obama, the country like with the tea party movement and the way the um the great recession happened that really split the country apart and then it just continued polarizing on a level that it hadn't been seen like it, like even in the 90s and whatnot liberals and democrats it was liberals and conservatives were way more cordial to each other than they are now the, hmm. When in the when Newt Gingrich came in, he shifted politics. It got uglier and uglier. Bush came in. It, it was ugly, but still, you know, there's they were able to talk. But once we got Obama in, and really, it's because of how he handled the um, how he handled the recession because he did nothing to the banks and i mean it's amazing to well, see he bailed them out i mean yeah, he bailed them out worse but than was, nothing but you know what the most amazing thing about him is he he helps in basically destroying more of the working class than ever before he um he allowed what is it um he allowed like uh some of the companies like uh GM had a company as like is like Delco or something like that. I forget the it's Delta is it Delta or Delco, something like that. But they made a lot of the parts for GM, and a, a venture capital firm was allowed to buy it and then ransom it to the to the American basically to the government saying that uh, you have to let us offshore it. And they they immediately like they they get it they they say like we're not going to offshore we're not going to offshore the minute they allowed to do whatever they want they offshore the uh, the uh, factories and then you also have that he oversaw the greatest transfer of black wealth as more black people were impoverished from him yet interestingly enough the black elite love him. Mm -hmm. Of course. I mean, that follows logically from what you just said. Yeah. Are you saying the transfer was from black? From what do you black, mean from black people aggr on yeah. aggregate or from poor black people to from black people wealthier are, people? No, no. They, the black community in the whole lost money. They lost wealth. More but I mean, is that an average? I'm just wondering if that means that black wealthy people got or wealthy black people got wealthier or poorer 
during that time. Well, that because they could have still gotten wealthier, and the poor black people went down. That, that's true. Because I mean, if people should go look up the back channel. They had a really good um, uh, racial breakdown of how every ethnic group in America is the same in terms of um, wealth. Uh, what is it? Uh, distribution. Where one percent of each group rules that entire group's wealth and that's like for, for white people it's the same for black people it's the same for for hispanics you know you name it, it it's that's how it is and it seems like if you if you really pay attention to the liberals uh, the way they have conducted their like social agendas is they talk real big about ending racism and doing all these programs to help black people but like when you actually look at it, they don't actually do programs to help the communities. What they start doing is entrepreneurship programs. So to raise up black businesses. And the thing about that is that has a, a almost like 90 to 90, like 5%, uh, what is it? Uh, um failure rate because well and to be fair there's some orgs doing like the schools public parks right no but public you know see the majority the majority is in that entrepreneurship so only only a small amount of people are going to benefit from those programs while the majority of the black community is basically going to be left like in my state petersburg is like a dump like this is a majority black city and i mean it it has trouble funding its schools it mm -hmm. it has a police department that sometimes can't run itself it can't fund itself so i mean the like you look at my my um my state you'll find that much of the investment is going into the richer areas while the poor areas get nothing mm -hmm. so i mean that's how it goes i mean we have uh, was it Goochland County? Goochland County is a real show of how powerful um, rich people can be. Rich people moved out there in mass. They immediately destroyed this tax, the the um, the property tax of that county, which the property tax of that county was used to fund the schools of that county. The the rich basically came in, demanded that the property tax of that county get kicked out, or they'll you know move out in mass, and the county capitulated, gave them what they want, and so the Goochland County schools were, were you know going downhill. So I mean, the the way that uh, the this uh, this stuff is goes in this country is just amazing. Sorry for the rant. No, I think it's pretty hilarious about the. I mean, it's hilarious, but with a sad outcome about the the people who wanted to worsen their own school district. Um, but yeah, I mean, what about like, going back to the COVID article, the dancing on the graves? Yeah. Like we talk about the decline of the American empire. That's the theme of this blog and this podcast. And um, as you said, a house divided cannot stand. And look at where we are with the... Uh, dancing on people's graves is now a supposedly legitimate form of rhetoric and it's just sad i mean it's just it's honestly tragic like i see the same thing with ashley babbitt you know on one six first of all the audacity of people to say it's as bad as 9 11 or it's worse because you know it came from within the country and um and no one ever talks about Ashley Babbitt or she's just a joke. Her death is a joke, yeah. you know? And there were other people who died that day. There were police officers, I believe. There's one police, well, there was no one, from what I remember, no one actually died. The only real, the only person that died that day was Ashley Babbitt. The day of, right. Yeah. They and, died later. You know, it's amazing because she had, she had no weapons or, yeah, she had no weapons or anything. Right. She was just going through a door, got shot in the neck and, and died. Now imagine. Yes imagine if this there was a she was climbing up a thing yeah she was trespassing yeah she was that trespassing. was her crime so so she gets shot dead everyone's like fuck her while a man let's let's go into this in kenosha a man had broken into his girlfriend's his ex-girlfriend's house that while he had a restraining order on him she had a, a restraining order on him 
He breaks into her house, steals her car keys, steals her kids, is in the middle of, of kidnapping them. The police confront him. Um, he, the, the woman screams out, he's got my, he's taking my kids. So they're now dealing with a man who is taking a car that does not belong to him, taking a children that does not belong to him and is rushing towards his car and it pulls out a knife. They shoot him six times. And this man is a, a victim who is now more important than the victim who he was stealing her kids and what is it and uh, robbing her of her car. And so, what is his name? Jacob Blake. Oh, this is Jacob Blake. Okay, so I completely, yeah, I didn't continue to follow every single one of these police shooting stories, clearly. Yes. Um, sorry about my ignorance there, but okay, so. And this man. Yeah, has, it's just completely order. hypocritical. Yeah, and there was a restraining order on this man because he had broken into her apartment before and had sexually assaulted her. You know, she woke up and found him in her bed and he was touching her. Um, and so, you know, she put a restraining out order on him. And amazingly, you I watched a, a, a BLM rally in New York and they were chanting Jacob Blake's name. And I sat there thinking, man, this guy, it, this has to be the worst fucking feeling for the uh, victim. To see crowds of people treating him like a goddamn hero. What is their narrative on that? He's a black man shot by a white cop six times. But That's they enough. can't even say he was unarmed. No, but he had a knife, tried... right? Yeah, he was going to grab his knife. Okay, he was going to grab his knife. Yes, and because um. he tried, like, at first, they had lied about it. Like the liberal media had reported it, saying that he was a dude who tried to break up a fight between two women, and the cops came out and shot him. Well, it's always the first story that sticks. That's what yeah. happens. So the second the correction doesn't get as far, and the first story clearly was the one that stuck in people's minds. Yeah, and that's how it goes. And well, so, what happened after they, after that narrative fell, though? What was what narrative did they construct about him to make well, him a hero? They, they they kind of like just not talk about. Okay. Like the media didn't talk about him. The 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 other people just don't care. Like when Rittenhouse was uh was um what is it uh, um found not guilty, they had Jacob Blake's uncle talk about how horrible it was. I mean. Hmm. Man, you know, that'd be great. Why don't we just go get Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, family members to lecture the victims about how upstanding a person Dahmer was. That's what they should do. I mean, it's just so unrelated to the in-house case because really, what does that have to do with, what does one have to do with the other? Well, remember, Kenosha was because of, uh, was it Jacob Blake caused the Kenosha? Oh, that's what they had to do was because the, where the written house incident occurred yes was, because, of yes course, because of um jacob blake um there was all these riots because they were like right. this is wrong and all this stuff and he went there to you know to defend. protect businesses yes that's what he said yeah okay interesting wow i mean it's like you wonder why more people are going to become conservative, you know? Not that it makes sense. The conservatives are just as wacky. Mm -hmm. And Fox News is still just as full of shit, even though Tucker Carlson has the occasional good segment, you know? But how can liberals then be surprised when it's just like the trans thing, you know? When, they, when you learn more about it, you can see that there's something wrong in this narrative. Well, I mean... I think the liberals are just short-term thinking and they're just using whatever they can to bash conservatives. And it seems like they're just, how do you put it? It's like people who've never been in confrontation finally trying to be in confrontations and they get all like excited and they use the first thing they can to like bludgeon their opponents. And you know, the the Republicans are more seasoned at this. So eventually they're going to find what the the weaknesses and just like 
completely, you know, strip them down. You saw that in Virginia. In Virginia, they, Terry McAuliffe, who was projected to have an easy race against um, Youngkin, ends up losing to the guy losing because, mm-hmm. yes, because of all these stupid fucking things that these dumbass, these dumbass Democrats are supporting because, you know, they, they're just signing off. Okay, this organization that's is donating money wants us to do this. Okay, cool, we'll do that. You know, that's what they're doing. They're, they're checking boxes. They're getting all these new staffers and whatnot, and there's all this these equity nonsense, this woke stuff. And they're thinking, this will be great. This work, the rhetoric and all that worked really good at just slapping down Bernie Sanders. Because... Mm-hmm. The the liberals really adopted all the social um, um, rhetoric and all that when they had to deal with him. Because like, they went at him with the old white man smear. Yeah. Basically. So basically, yeah, basically the liberal counter to the to being uh, out left, you know, being um, being attacked by the left on economics was to go to the social left. And attack them by the social sphere because in America, identity is very important. People are very crazy about their identities, and identity politics works wonders, especially in the minority communities. Like identity politics for right and for left for liberals um, is a lot different. Conservatives, their identity politics is. It, it doesn't necessarily, it, it, there is a racial component to them, but not all the time. It depends on which version of the right is is, is talking. Okay, because... What the, would be a non-racial example of identity politics from the right? Um, I would say, well, not non-racial. Um, what is it? Their, their idea of, like, uh, identity politics is they're going to attack on on just, like, social hierarchy stuff. Like Thomas Sowell is a real good example of this. They, he's going to bring up like, look, you, all these um, welfare programs and whatnot have done nothing for the black community, so obviously they're bad for them. So they use the identity politic to break down the what, the social program meant to benefit the people. Mm-hmm. That's how they'll use an I- identity many times. Because they'll bring up, look at the black crime rates, which black crime is high, white crime is high. Like every racial group prays it prays within itself, okay. But there is a problem that black crime is extremely high, and a lot of that is due to the and liberals will never want to um, admit to this, but a lot of it's due to the cultural issues. The black um, society has been raped. They have the highest, um, uh, what is it, uh, single parents. They have the highest poverty. They have the highest struggle. But isn't that the key? The highest poverty? Yeah. Because poverty does breed crime. Mm-hmm. Well, they deny, there's a denial that it breeds crime. From conservatives, I think. Because I see yeah. conservatives saying, Oh, so you're just saying that poor people are more likely to commit crimes? It's so offensive of you. Like they just use it in a ridiculous, opposite way. Yeah. Well, the the it's not that poor people are are more apt to commit crime. I think of it's that, not. But those conditions yeah. make it a happen lot, much more often. Right, because it's easier to conduct um, uh, it's easier to conduct illicit affairs in a sea where uh, a sea of people. Um, than it is in the, uh, what is it, in the more posh areas where the police are heaviest in? Well, I don't know, because I don't know if that's the reason. I kind of always thought it more had to do with, you know, lack of other opportunities and resources and desperation, but also those neighborhoods are heavily policed. Like, if you look at Harlem in New York, very heavily policed. And yet, Way very more heavy. cops yeah. patrolling, prowling than other yeah. na- than wealthier neighborhoods or wider neighborhoods. 
Well, you know, you're not going to have the same crime happening in the like the rich and the poor are not going to commit the same crimes because the, the criminals are going to look different. Yes. I think that's the real the real issue. And mm -hmm. uh, is that this the criminals are going to look different on that. Mm -hmm. the, the upper class is going to breed more criminals they are going to cause issues in white collar fields and all that stuff. The fraud and all that. Yeah, they'll kill people. But it's not going to be the same as in the poor area where, you know, a guy who wants to commit crime goes, well, I got a gun, shoot that guy, take his shit. And, you know, much different, you know, way of conducting it. That's what I mean by that. You have this, you, you have a sea, you know, of people in the bottom, in the bottom tier where, and they're compacted in on each other, you know? Yeah. So you're going to have more strife in those areas. Because the, mm -hmm. you, you've got more population density, you've got more people, um, you the criminals in that area are going to, because I don't, I don't subscribe to the idea necessarily that, um, that poverty creates crime. Um, I think it, because I, I subscribe to the idea that people who commit crime are going to commit crime. Okay, that's their. So you're just crime. saying based on basically the different kinds of crime, the different yeah, behaviors are going to just those, depend on the circumstance, but not the actual propensity to violence. Yeah, because a guy, a guy who's willing to go and rob you with a gun is a guy who, if he was in a better, if he was in born in the like middle class, he'd probably be the guy embezzling from his company, hmm. or or stealing from somebody a different way. Because it's in his personality, and I think that's going to be an argument for me versus like people who think that human beings are Blake Slate. I don't think human beings are Blake Slate. I agree with you. I think that's a really good point, but I also think there's another component, which is that the the social conditions around you are going to draw you into certain things. So if you live in an area with a lot of gangs. Mm -hmm. And let's say you live in an area where there's a lot of gangs. You grow up there. The schools suck. So you go to school. You're not really getting anything from it. And you don't really see that you could then, you're not like in a wealthy neighborhood being pushed. Like you're going to go to college. You're going to get a career. All these things are laid out before you. So you are going to be more drawn into but Sasha, these lifestyle. people. These people know right and wrong. Okay. Of course a, they do. A guy who, but they know. so do the wealthier people. And yeah. they so, don't always have to do right. those they things. They don't have to. That's the point. The people who do the, like, you're going to go into a gang. You have to have a certain mentality to be a ganger. Because if you're going to go into a gang, you know something. You're going to have to one day kill somebody. You're going to have to prove yourself to the, that gang. And, like, what teenager doesn't want to do that obviously okay being a little extreme but teenagers want want some kind of a fight and a struggle like even if they don't want to join a gang they want to join the military or do something big and be a part of something and right have and a fight they really really that is something to, um, right, characteristic of teenagers but even teenagers know right and wrong i'm not saying they don't I'm saying and that they're, they're all desire. Mostly, they're all desirous of some kind of danger for what they right. see as a cause. And then, if you are given that, like handed that, and you're not handed anything else in life, you're more likely to take it. That's what I think. Right, but what I would say is that those people, like, if they didn't have a gang, they'll create them. You know, if they don't have a gang, they these people would eventually follow and create them. You're talking they, about the leaders, yes, but I'm talking about followers, people who are followers. Same, same. I've, and many, you know, many people are. A lot of the guys who become gangers and be, and decide to do that, they are attracted to that, the because they know you, you look at it. If you go and you look at the amount of men who become members of a gang versus that the men in the community. That membership is tiny. Like down in Matoica, it's only probably about 0, 0.00, like maybe 1.12% of the populace that are warlocks. But those warlocks, 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 okay, warlocks are a motorcycle game. 
Oh, okay. I thought okay. we were talking about WoW all of a sudden. No, no, no. Warlock. Okay, so warlocks are warlocks are a um, a um, a motorcycle gang that okay. are what you call one percenters. They are violent criminals. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you got some of them over there. They cause problems there. Like you know, one of one dude I knew, his dad was one of them. They had a video of his dad going in a bar beating the living fuck out of a guy, and there, you know, they, that's does that does that ganger represent all the guys that all those poor guys that are living there? Because ninety nine percent of those, more than ninety nine percent of the population are and who are still poor. No, he aren't. doesn't. But does the average kid 18 year old kid who joins the military represent all other poor 18 year old kids no and yet it's poor people who join the military in this country right well see what i'm saying within gangs with people who go who are attracted to gangs Uh, yeah i guess my military example i acknowledge that's not like a gang but it has some of the same characteristics you're gonna go kill people possibly you're gonna be in a hierarchy you're gonna have Mm. a buddy system you're gonna have you're gonna have this bonding with other people in the same situation as you and you're but gonna see, have structure and a, and a life it gives you see, a life the other thing Community. that attracts people to mil- that attracts men to military is the idea of the sac the 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 fantasy of the dude of duty that yes. i am the yeah. i am by doing this i am the stalwart protector of my society so but and why do gang members call themselves soldiers or call themselves capos or have a code of honor, supposedly. Well, because because gangers want to have want to go into something and uh, and be uh, the the mentality of people who join gangs is they want to be a somebody in either in the community, or it's want somebody to be a somebody on the streets. They want a reputation and have control. And, and I mean that's gang- pretty similar to your example of glory and honor. When you get glory mm-hmm. and honor, it's all about the reputation that you've achieved, even in death. It's not necessarily the same because the person that joins the gang is out there to do, knowing that he's going to be stealing, beating up people, doing horrible things. The guy who joins the military thinks that he's doing something noble for him and his family, that he's protecting his family. I think the, the gang member sometimes thinks the same thing. They think they're doing it all for their family. Uh, not always, but sometimes. No, I think they lie to themselves at times. Sure, Ultimately, so do military people lie to themselves they may lie to themselves i they may lie to themselves on what they do when they go over into into the fight but when they go in there they go for their myriad of different reasons you do have people that go in there wanting to shoot kill and murder people absolutely you're going to get your psychopaths and a lot of them a lot for example a lot of the snipers and whatnot generally are people who are psychopaths because they are the ones that are going to actually see their target when they kill them. Most times with soldiers, they never see the person they shoot dead. Um, but with snipers, they do. And the, the, they know that with, um, with those, t- those types, um, they have a high, uh, uh, what is it? Um, uh, psycho- uh, high psychotic uh, rate. But anyway, the, the gang, uh, no, I, I don't have sympathy for the ganger because I'm not. Oh, I'm not saying I have any sympathy I don't, for them. No, that's not my argument. But no, the other thing is, nobody goes when they do something wrong. This is just the thing about people in general. You, even a man who goes and murders his wife will always tell every single person he had a valid reason to do it and try to moralize why he did it. No one ever sits there and says, I killed that person because I wanted to. Very few. There's probably very few people who actually will go and say, yeah, I murdered these people because I found it fun. But I mean, they believe their reasons, you know, they believe their reasons are real. Sure. Because why would you want to admit to yourself that you're actually like people know what they do is wrong, but then they'll create a reason to why it's not wrong. Maybe you had a good reason, you know, you never know. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that I, I think that. We have been. That was a joke, by the way. I know. I didn't um, condone the hypothetical man killing his wife. <laughs> Let's just make that clear for everyone. And for everyone. 
<laughs> Sasha does not does not uh, condone a man killing his wife. So not as of yet. As of yet, but um, no, I think that I think that um, I think we've been conditioned to have too much sympathy towards people. Like we we're supposed to have compassion towards people who have done horrible things, as long as, and, and uh, in the hope that you can reform them into being something better. But at at a certain point, well, or because it shows how far you can stretch your compassion if you can have compassion for those people too. I think the the problem is is that the issue has morphed into people's um, wanting to show how good they are instead of looking at yeah. that issue uh, at hand. Like I I know I will argue with people. I I do I am fine with capital punishment. I don't like life in prison. <laughs> I I think I think if I think if a person is willing. So to how do you account for the fact that we have multiple wrongful executions that have taken place? And how do you account? Like, I'll let you answer that one first. So, I mean, when you have wrong, when you have, uh, what is it? Multiple, how many, how many people have, innocent people have died? Well, I don't have the and, numbers in front of me, but it's substantial. That's right. why most states have stopped it. That's, mm. That and also how substantial. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I wasn't prepared for this debate, but (laughs) it has happened. Isn't one too many? I think one is too damn many. If that one was your family member or you, you know, you would think uh, it was. And I think mm -hmm, I think here's the thing. I think that one on the idea on the issue of uh, the person who is wrongfully convicted. Well. We know that we have issues with prosecutors and whatnot. So yeah. that needs to be dealt with on that. But I don't think we have many times people we know absolutely know have done horrible things. Why do I want to pay for a man who openly, after he gets convicted, admits that he murders somebody and then says, you know what? Being in jail was great because I get as much sex as I want. Great. I get to pay well, usually, for that. A lot of times those people are in solitary or something. No, no, no. Sometimes they're general population and they're enjoying their time. Um, so I, well, mean, I don't disagree. I do think that the death penalty was correct for Ted Bundy, for example. Um, yeah. I think that was a good thing for everyone involved. Um, I mean, but, you can put a high cri- criteria on. Yeah. On the problem is that we all like it in those cases where we know and it's yeah. like we all like it when we burn the witch that we knew was a witch the problem yeah. is when you start doing that the innocents get caught up and because when you allow it when you say okay we all like that we all agree on that we all agree on that person being killed you've now opened the door to it being done for others you might not like how the decision is made for the others so here's the thing. Would you prefer a man who's innocent rot until he die and just die in captivity for all of his life? Is that more? Well, sad? I mean, that is a worse punishment in many ways. There was the lawyer for what his name was, I think, Jahar Zarnayev, mm-hmm. the Boston bomber younger brother. Mm-hmm. And his lawyer argued against the death penalty on the grounds that, in fact, life in prison would be a worse punishment that's how bad you know of a case she had was she had to argue hey listen um actually we all agree my client should suffer so let him suffer more and send him to prison for life rather than than give him the death penalty he did get the death penalty and then it got repealed i don't know where it's at right now yeah well that's what i'm saying i mean you're we can sit here and say well we know some innocent people have died um but at the same time we probably will have innocent people who will die in prison and is it it kind is it a kindness that you have them rotting there with the worst of human beings because by by a certain level it's injustice yeah so if but that's it doesn't mean just send them to die. Like, okay, I actually had this weird idea that I'm just going to go ahead and run past you. And I feel like we covered all the sides of that debate. So if you're okay with it, we can just, let, let me just, let me just tell you this idea that I had. Okay. For criminal justice reform, 
anyone who gets sentenced to prison gets a choice to commit suicide instead of serving their sentence. <laughs> I mean, I just thought of this. I thought of I was what? That's that's kind of like the Japanese. Oh, seppuku. Yes. Yeah, seppuku. It is like that. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't think of that. That's true. Um, because you know, I was sitting there thinking about it, like being locked in a cage. It really is a horrible thing. And locked in a cage with the worst of human beings is alive. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I think as a human being. Yeah, you don't have a right to not go to prison if you've been convicted of a crime. But do you maybe still have a right, a human right, just some kind of like, you know, animal right to just choose to die instead? Well, I mean, does one have the right to commit suicide? Um, well... That would be an interesting argument for, I mean, I would argue now, I say that I, I don't, I'm not in favor of people just uh, committing suicide. Um, I don't think I, most of us are fans of that in general. Yeah. But see, how many, how many innocent people would commit suicide? Yeah, no, that is, that is an issue. That is a big issue with my proposal. Yes. I acknowledge that. But if you knew you were innocent, you might want to stay to fight and try to get you know, write to Kim hey. Kardashian. Hey, you know, send her a letter. She might come help you out. But I, I, I will, I will say one thing. Um, here, like in Sweden, uh, no, in Norway, Norway, you know, I don't. It doesn't have the death penalty, and they try to reform people. And think about this: you have a guy, a a, a um, musician by the name of Varg Vikernes. Okay, this guy was in the black metal scene, and he went to jail because he stabbed the the bassist of another band this guy named Euronymous or we went by the name Euronymous he stabbed him like like 16 times in the skull with a uh hmm. with a, just murdered the hell out and so you know he gets 20 years in jail comes out now he's like some like he may he still does music but he's like just this piece of shit that every once in a while tries to get guns and stuff hmm. and you know, stockpile them, even though he's not supposed to have them. Does he still live in Norway? Um, I think he was in France. I think okay. he was in France. Um, I think that was the last time that it was he who was living in France or whatnot. I might be wrong. But why why let that animal live? Even he admitted he murdered the guy. So why, mm -hmm. why, let, why let him live? What is the point of it? I actually like his music. He's a piece. He's a racist. <laughs> you're done with the death penalty argument, but no, you you're not wrong. I mean, I don't really have an argument against that. I don't think that. I think there are some people who should not share this earth with us. Um, well, see, I, but hey, if he has good music, you know what? That's why yeah. we let him walk the earth. Well, see, I'm making it's this all worth it. I'm making this argument because I know in the audience that they will sit there and be like, well, you know, some will make the argument you don't want to be like them. And my argument to the people is that's say, also well, true, though. You're making you're turning someone else into a killer. You're making the executioner be a killer. How about that? Well, how about this? I mean, this individual who murdered somebody had no problem taking the life of another individual. And it feels to me more out of cowardice that the other individuals do not want to end this human being's life because they're, they don't want to take the responsibility of having to dish out punishment and would rather say, well, let's but that's, that's a That's a smart thing, though, to be wary of dishing out punishment. It's, it's a smart thing to be wary of playing God and taking away life. But, uh, but, I mean, in terms of God, they're in the religious sense, uh, you know, if you if you take a life, your life shall be taken. So, I mean, there's very little, like, you know, even even in uh, the Christian religion, Jesus says it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, or is that the Hebrew? I think that was Jesus. Because I think, he, well, let's look it up. Because, you know, there are some crimes that you have to, like, the individual can repent, and God may forgive him, but, you know, he's going down. 
It's from the Old Testament. It says an eye for an eye is a commandment found in Exodus 21, 23 through 27. Okay. So it, it sounds more like an Old Testament thing because it's not so much like turn the other cheek, you know, it's more but brutal. See, turn, turn the other cheek was directed at people who, who wronged you that you were trying to like, this is always what I find so interesting with Christians is that instead of being more compassionate, many of them are more judgmental. Yeah, that's and, true. <laughs> and it is a part of the religious groups, but it's also a part of like secular people too, as you can see with the woke. Mm -hmm. This want of like self-righteous, uh, this self-righteous purity saying that if you do not agree with the woke, they shall destroy your life economically. Yeah. Oh, the self-righteousness can do that. Well, yeah, I mean... So it's interesting here because I'm just reading on Wikipedia and it says in, in the Hebrew law, the eye for eye was to restrict compensation to the value of the loss. Thus, it might be better read only one eye for one eye. Kind of an interesting fact. I didn't know that. But we are kind of running out of time. We've gone over an hour. So that brings us to the end of this episode. And we hope you guys enjoyed um, our discussion about trans in sports anti-vaxxers dancing on their graves and we even had a little debate about the death penalty so that was fun and don't forget to check out the rest of the stuff on our sub stack right now we're going to keep talking and we're gonna go ahead and discuss jk rowling and the recent smears against her and the goblins jewish goblins and the insanity over that so if yeah. you want to catch our discussion about that um, you can go ahead and sign up on Substack, and you can also find this podcast anywhere podcasts are found.